Welcome to In the Deep. I'm your host, Katherine Ingram. The following conversation is with my friend Michael Shaw, whose documentary, Living in the Time of Dying, which came out in 2020, explores not only climate collapse, but some of the inherent emotions that confront so many of us in witnessing it. You can watch the documentary at livinginthetimeofdying.com. The following conversation took place on May 22nd, 2022. Michael and I were both in Byron Bay, though we spoke on Zoom. And this podcast is called Just Give Me Some Truth, the famous line from John Lennon. On another note, as it may be some time before I start up regular Zoom sessions, I invite you to send in any questions you might have that you'd like to have me address on the coming podcasts. And you can just send those in to my email address which you can find on the website, katherineingram.com. Hello, Michael. Hi, Catherine. (laughs) Oh, so happy we get to have this conversation. Exactly. And I know you... um, had some thoughts around the idea of acceptance. Mm. You had listened to the, the Jenkinson conversation that I had done a year ago, and it triggered some ideas that you and I have shared just on our own. But let's, let's unpack some of those. I mean, acceptance is a great topic, and I know you and I have talked a lot about acceptance, and but when we're talking civilizational collapse, environmental collapse. Acceptance is a, is a much bigger deal. And one of the things that we've spoken about previously is this notion, I think what's happening in a lot of climate circles right now is this idea that there's the four, you know, four stages of grief and then the fifth stage of acceptance. And when you're done with anger, sadness, denial, and bargaining, you'll, you'll come into the holy land of acceptance where all the spiritual yogis hang out. And, um, <laughs> and I, I feel I have cycles of grief and cycles of anger and cycles of acceptance and mm-hmm. cycles of pain. I have cycles of, of everything. Yes. But, but when a cycle of uh, sadness or grief is in, it's strong when it's in. I, everywhere I look, I, I, it's like I feel it. Yes. And I just feel that I have to give myself permission to have that and not feel like a failed yogi, <laughs> you know, to, to be in that place. And and I, I feel sure you'd probably feel the same on that. I'd like to sort of hear what your thoughts are on that. Uh, definitely. I feel the exact same. I would also add in foreboding because I think that I'd say that that is a, a, a state that is more steady for me even, mm. even when I'm in acceptance. Mm. There's also a, a a sense of foreboding that I have to accept as part of this picture. So, I mean, I think another way to understand acceptance, of course, is 
that you accept the grief and you accept you accept that you're going to be rolling around in all of those mm. stages and a few others maybe that mm. haven't been named. Mm. And you're just having to say yes to it because that's the hand we got dealt here. Yeah. But yeah. I wonder, I mean, I'm, I'm always trying to track our privileged state and our privileged lives against how things have been historically where people could die easily including children you know like people just died all around you all the time and if a plague came along then a whole lot of everybody you knew died at in one fell swoop and so they must have been living with tremendous foreboding and tremendous unease about the precariousness of life mm. you know but we haven't been so used to that in our in our lives mm. you and I at the ages that we are we just haven't been very used to it we haven't exercised that muscle of living with foreboding or precariousness of like anything at any minute or soon to be mm. and i sometimes feel like I have entered the community of those who have gone before and many people who actually yeah. live that way now are. And I have sort of exited the community of the super privileged who don't seem to have a care in the world about any of this. Look, I am just, look, there's, there's a few things in what you said there, but, but I am amazed in the conversations that I get into sometimes and I don't get into them that often because I, I usually know to avoid them and save it for the people that I totally trust who can meet me here. But people will say things like, yes, yes, I get it. You know, it's all yeah. falling down. And then carry on like they haven't said anything and their life doesn't reflect that understanding anywhere and the next thing they'll be talking about is their 20-year plan and how this, you know, their, this house is going to be passed on to their children and their children's children. So there's a fair bit of denial dressed up as acceptance in that. And, and, you know, I mean, to your point around we live in a privileged way, I mean, not everybody is living this way. Obviously, there's, you know, great swathes of the earth that are living hand to mouth now. Yes. But in terms of the privileged white society that we live in, I think it's, I think we've become utterly comfort addicted. And because death has become more of an unfortunate accident yeah. or something to do with old age, but that happens in old people's homes over there. Do you know what I mean? And it's a tragedy if someone somehow dies outside of an old person's home because something bad has happened. Mm -hmm. So so we're living in a very um, comfort-addicted, death-phobic culture. Yes. And, uh, and looking out from that culture that we're in to see the, the truth of what's in the climate, it's, I, I guess... We're trained in denial. We're trained not to be able to feel those things. Yes. Basically. Right. Yeah. yeah. We've gone to our cultures, our culture, our particular subculture mm. um, of privileged mm. has gone to a whole lot of trouble to <laughs> give us a gigantic death denial program, you know, and we've been drip fed that for a long, long time. Mm. Uh, but isn't it amazing how when you just talk about death and the reality of it and the certainty of it, 
how there's this strange relief where you just feel, okay, that's where this is all heading. Yes. And it, it, certainly in our personal cases, yes. all of our personal cases. And then to, as Stephen Jenkinson was talking about, live as though you actually knew that. Yes. Like everybody will say, yes, so for sure, I know that I'm going to die, but they don't behave that way. And it's just exactly to your point. There's all kinds of denial going on about yes. this, the world circumstances, yes. the climate circumstances, the pollution, the, you know, the whole cabal. Well, it, well, it's a very unnatural split, isn't it? Because I, I know what you're saying around when you talk about death, you know, when you just get it out there. I feel the same. I mean, that, that's why we talk to each other so well. Because <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, yeah, good. Thank God. You know, we're all going to die. <laughs> now we can relax. <laughs> I don't have to fight it. I don't have to pretend it's not happening. That's right. You know, so it's a relief, and then I'll have feelings about that. But it's the, the yeah. resistance to the idea is put down, and so there's a relief straight up from that resistance. Yes. And and I can look clearly. I don't have to pretend that I'm not seeing. So so then, but I notice if I have that conversation elsewhere, I'll have that feeling. Oh, thank God! You know what I mean? Just let's just say it. Yeah. But that won't be the feeling that's created in most rooms that I'm speaking to when I say that. There's right. sort of much more of a tension that's created in other people when they contemplate that. And and it's the same with, I feel it's the same with grief. And I, I guess I've been in a grief cycle yeah. around looking at the climate. I've been, I've been feeling tremendous amounts of grief for, you know, not for a day either, but, you know, th- this is sort of a, five or six week period that I've been in now where I wake up with it every day. Well, and, I mean, we're in a region where it's, yes. it's hitting home in a huge way. You know, there have been massive floods. There's so much loss of people's homes and everything that they had. And you just keep hearing story after story. I just heard yesterday about this young woman living in a, We'd call it a little tra- a trailer in the U.S. I forgot what it's called here, um, but caravan. A caravan. That's right. Yeah. And you know, she's got a one and a half year old. She can't. She can't work. She's trying to take care of the baby. Her whole caravan is full of mold, and rats are coming up from the floorboards that are completely soaked and flooded. Um, and it, it just sounds like a kind of hell world. Here in Byron Bay, which <sighs> has been this notorious paradise. Yes. Um, so, yes, of course, it's, it's brought home to all of us. It's so in our faces here. But I'd say you and I also have been aware of it more theoretically, mm. more distantly for years, many years. And so we've had this background sense of sadness and foreboding and grief and you know all of it and most people don't want to hear it no they don't and 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 you know on that note too if I'm in a grief cycle I'm just going to presume you know I'm going to go with what you said at the beginning and just presume that every cycle when it's in is just fine and doesn't mean that anything's wrong it's just my natural walking the way through it and I'm and I'm not going to put it down so that other people don't feel uncomfortable with me or whatever it is I'm I mean I'm doing it honestly but so particularly if I'm in a down period and someone says well 
you know, why look at that? Why look at what could be coming if it's going to make you feel like this? You know, why not be happier and, and just not even see it? And I struggle with that sometimes, you know. It's like, well, why, why, should, why should I listen to this? You know, if, if, if I'm going to feel worse, I feel fine right now. And, and, and part of me is like, well, why should they? Why well, sh- maybe sure. they shouldn't. Well, yeah. maybe they shouldn't. But you probably can't help but yes. keep noticing. And that's how it is for me. I can't help but notice. I'm just not designed in such a way that denial comes easily. <laughs> and, um, and I do see that lots of other people prefer, they actually will choose denial. Like they can somehow choose it. Somebody just told me a story of having a conversation with a woman and they were on two different sides of the picture. And the woman said to her, well, I choose to see it the way that I'm seeing it because it makes me feel better. And I thought, you know, that I think that represents a lot of people. I don't have that. I don't have that uh, tendency at all. Just give me the truth and I'll deal with it. You know, I'll deal with it in my way. And it will come with, in this case, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. This is another thing we, you know, we can talk about is just the endurance of suffering and and, and the presumption that we shouldn't be right. And then also seeing that it forces you into deeper places. It forces you into a kind of steadiness in a way that can only be only be born by having endured the suffering a real st- type of steadiness, not all the time, certainly. You know, I, I have times when I don't feel steady at all, but because I've had so much loss and also this sense of foreboding about what I can see happening, I, I would just go completely mad if I didn't have kind of a witnessing of all of this and a kind of quiet through it, you know, that I return to and that I keep, in a sense, surrendering to, not in resignation, but in acceptance of what is. But, you know, it comes with, it's hard. Yeah, it is. I think there's something, certainly there's something that feels worthy of unpacking in this because the idea that seeing the truth would make you feel better um, is it doesn't make it, it actually doesn't make sense in this context. Context, yes, yes. But it does land you in the process of uh, deepening the way that yeah. grief can deepen you, the way that even anger can deepen you around yeah. this. Yeah, so, so we get deepened in the truth, but it doesn't necessarily feel good for the journey, right? And we spoke, you know, a few days ago around this notion of when you're with someone who's in genuine acceptance, uh, in, a, in a phase of genuine acceptance, I want to say that, you can feel them hollowed out. Yeah. You, you can feel yourself in the presence of someone spacious and hollow. Yeah. Where someone is just saying they're in acceptance, it's a very two-dimensional thing. Yeah. That's right. It has a transmission of its own and, and it 
speaks to the place in yourself that can easily be hollowed out in those moments and realize, you know what, why fight all of this? You know, why spend our few minutes here embattled when, yeah, it's a tough time. It might be the toughest time. It might be the end of days. And that's, you know, there's pretty much nothing's going to trump that. But, (laughs) you know, it's, it's not upon us at the moment exactly. I mean, it's it's feels like it's getting nearer, but it who knows, you know. And this journey for me has really forced a kind of quite radical razor's edge that if I start slipping into the list of the horrors, and I know a lot of them, if I start going down the list and telling my story about each one of those, any one of those can lead to annihilation. And I can start spooking myself pretty thoroughly. I know where that leads. I know that where that will lead my nervous system and my mental state and my ability to even make a clear decision for the day. It leads to depression. Mm. So it's to not, not deny any of that. All of that knowledge stays in its place. But here I'm on this razor's edge, right, that is balancing and is basically knowing I've got to keep choosing to take the next step and pay attention to what I'm doing and, you know, make sure the dish is properly washed and all of those things, you know, just each thing one attends to. You know, we spoke a few days ago just about the treasure of your life is is your attention. It's what you're attending to. That's your treasure. Anyone who's lost that ability, if they could explain it, they would tell you that, you know, that there's no other. The loss of that is essentially the loss of of self. I just keep coming to a quieter place with all of this. It's much quieter than it has been. Something that's been in my contemplation around this, which you would understand, when you consider climate change, the rest of it, you know, climate change is a very kind of loose term now because we're also talking biosphere collapse, yes. you know, yes. pollution. I, I, I'm just going to segue for one second and then yes. come back to what I wanted to say, but we live in a particular area. And honestly, like I, I just don't know where to even start with this. The degree of lunacy that's out there, apparently, according to friends of mine, there isn't actually climate change. It's um, chemtrails dropping aluminium. And these chemtrails are organised by the Illuminati, some sort of, you know, super wealthy families that are that are creating climate change. Yeah. So I, I think I wanted to say if we just talk about climate change, people have all sorts of ideas about where yes. atmospheric change comes from. Yes. But, but we have to include the biosphere and we have to include pollution and we have to include the burning peat fields and methane. We have to include that in the, the whole picture or climate change can be argued with. <laughs> Well, and this actually segues into a subject I think we should talk about, which is the various forms of bypass Mm. 
or actually facing what's happening, one of which is these crazy conspiracy theories, you know, because I think a lot of people who subscribe to those kinds of, you know, Illuminati stories, it's their desperate way of having some sense of control. Yes. Like, I, we know the secret. Yes. We know the secret plan that is going on by the, the Illuminati. <laughs> and, um, and if and, we can stop them, we can save we can the world. Exactly. That's yes. all we have to do. We don't have to solve this more huge problem. We just have to stop the people, the few people causing it. And so this bypass program comes in lots of other forms, especially spiritual bypass, whereby, you know, there are all these stories of how you know, it just doesn't matter and it's all perfect and or it's some sort of karmic retribution or it's leading, you know, it's leading to the golden light phase that this is the this is the dark night of the soul that's going to open up into the vast, fabulous yeah. light. Yeah. Um, these stories are also part of the, the various forms of bypass and denial mm. that get you off the hook. Mm. I find... It's a challenge for me to deal with spiritual bypass and these transcendent notions because it seems particularly hypocritical to how I understand awakened awareness. Mm -hmm. um, that awakened awareness includes what you and I are talking about at the beginning of this. It includes grief and foreboding and sadness and anger and being a human being with with passionate emotions. Mm. If that's your nature, some people's, some people's nature is not so passionate and they can still be very awake to what's happening. Mm. But nevertheless, that you're seeing it clearly and you're feeling it. And you're not, you're not able to tell some big story about why it's happening and how we're getting out of it. What I see is this is just evolution. This is just the evolutionary path, and we're exactly on time, exactly where we were headed all along. We're right on point. It's a mess, but this, <laughs> this is where we were headed, yes. and here we are. <laughs> it actually does make me feel better, that thought, you know, to, to feel that thing. Things are unfolding exactly as they should, despite the death and the suffering and the pain and and not that it takes away the pain, but well, the sense of trust. If we say as they, if you say as they should, it has a slight mm. connotation of it being a good way mm. it's going. Mm. But just that it's, they're going as they were meant to go by all the things that were laid down before. Like we were always headed this direction ever since we crawled out of the sea. It's just been this force all along of more and more complexity and more and more technology and more and more and, and then more and more ability to take the resources. If you ran out of resources in one area, you went to another area mm -hmm. until there were no more areas mm -hmm. to rape and pillage. And, and now the complexity of the technology and the speed at which it's going, the experience exponential speed at which it's going. We can't really even fathom. I was listening to a podcast the other day and the, the person who was, whose podcast it was, was just talking about how fast the technology is going. And he was saying things like, you know, in a million years, 
we'll probably be able to, et cetera. And I'm thinking a million years. Oh my God, you know. Give me if, 10 and I'll be happy. Yeah, 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 exactly. And also, <laughs> and also if, even if his theory were right and, and we don't blow ourselves up in the meantime or all starve or something, none of us can imagine the, the potentials of the various forms of technology. And like, we just can't imagine them because all of the things that are happening, it's happening with emergent properties. One thing leads to the next and that blossoms into, it splits exponentially and on and on and on. And we, you and I have seen that in our very lifetime, which is the lifetime of the most technological change in all of, all of history. And it's only, as we can see, it's only gotten more and more rapid year by year. It's, it's just each year we can't even believe the new changes of the technological complexity. And I see that has a lot of tremendous downsides for all of the wonders that people think it has given us. The truth is I experienced life in previous times as much more calm and peaceful. And I don't mean just my own life, but I mean our world in general. And I traveled a lot when I was young. So it's not just an American take on it. I went to a lot of countries in my 20s and 30s, and I saw those places seemed happier and more peaceful and more easy and slower, all of those things. You know, another background foreboding for me has to do with the speed of our lives and and the expectation of speed now that we're expected to keep up with and how quickly one falls behind, <laughs> you know, if you're not keeping up with it, you can't even pay for your food. I mean, I was just I was just in Melbourne recently and a lot of places aren't taking cash. You know, so if you don't have a smartphone or a credit card or something, you know, um, you can't buy the food, can't can't get onto a public transport. Can't well, I think because we see the exponential growth of technology, there's the assumption that humans will grow exponentially along with them. Right. Yeah. It's creating a facade, a false cloud of um, hope, if you like, which yes. is why everyone seems to think that technology is going to save us when it's actually technology that got us into the problem in the first place. So swinging back right around. So if we, if, if we say, like, there's a few assumptions to get where I want to go here. Technology can't save us because the human the human population, the whole human experiment now has gotten too big. We're in overshoot. Yeah. So so we don't, we technology can't save us because if we keep expanding, things only get worse. So the human um, dimension has to shrink, has will shrink because we're over limit. So so we're we're gonna be in a massive shrinkage, how small, who can say? Right. Technology cannot save us. And there's something powerful in even just saying that because it's anti-cultural. It can't save us. It's, it's <laughs> yes. the seed of the problem. Yes. So then, so then, if we can, if we keep coming back down that line, 
okay, technology can't save us, so there is no way. And that, and by technology, I include solar and wind, cannot help us because we're in overshoot. We can't keep going the same way we're going. So sooner or later, you come to a place of, I don't know what to do. Yes. And, and I can, if I sit quietly, I can feel. So th- this is what you were touching on a little while ago. The presence of death, of a culture, of nature, of myself. And I know, and you know too, there's Buddhist practices that go out seeking that very experience of, of contemplating your own demise. Yeah, I've done a lot of those practices. I've sat at burning yeah. gods. I've gone and looked at in Thai monasteries where they have all kinds of parts of the body in, in these formaldehyde jars. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, all kinds of practices on death awareness when I was younger. And of course, it's been a big theme in my life, all through my life of losing people. What but so it? this dimension that comes in then with. I don't know. There's no, I don't know what the answer is. So we go into the mystery, really. Like, I, I'm suddenly like, there, there, my logical brain cannot see the end of this situation. And there's death knocking, which is, we know is a spiritual practice from, you know, how many centuries, thousands of years has yeah. that been practiced? And so then, how do we meet that? And I'm curious about, you know, you've been in these practices. How did you meet that? And what were they saying were the, were the approaches to this experience that you're seeking? I want to seek my well, death experience. <laughs> well, you know, Michael, what I think the, the core of any of the great teachers that I've met and what I feel I've come to in my own journey is I just keep going to quiet. Mm. I do. I just keep going to quiet. I just keep going to some place in me that finally says, okay. And I'm really counting on that place because I know I'm going to have to witness a lot of harder things and at some point my own death. And I don't have any other formula or any other practice, so-called, or any other perspective I mean, I have to say, it is hard what we're witnessing. It is hard. And yet we still have, you know, joy. And, you know, I've had a whole lot of fun because there are these kids staying where I'm staying. And, and it's just been really fun hanging out with them and playing games and, you know, just talking. And, and it's like entering this whole other world where it's like being a child again. You know, you kind of tune into your own child frequency. And I've been noticing how spirited I've been feeling in this context, despite what I live with day in and out. So ultimately, I, I'm just in a kind of allowing or I don't have a fight in me and I don't have a whole lot of enthusiasm for as you know, also for thinking I or really anybody is going to change much of the world. I think that this is a pretty big juggernaut that's running. And yes, some people come along and they enact certain 
you know, huge waves of change, but it doesn't really change the direction. They're just sort of passing clouds. Industrial society, can it can't just change direction. It has to fall down. There is no change. You can you, you can't even go backwards in time. No, 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 yeah. no. Well, I am interested in you know the quiet that you spoke of, and I. One of the things when when I'm in a contemplation of death, which is which is very easy to approach with climate change, it's a very easy approach. I mean, it's a, one of the gifts of the times. I think yes. it's yeah. right there if you yeah. want to apply yourself. In any, you know, in any particular minute, you yeah. can go, okay, what's that like? Yeah. And what often, sometimes what happens for me is a tremendous, um, ah, well, it doesn't matter that I don't own a house. It doesn't matter about my career. It doesn't matter about that. It doesn't matter. That's good. I like that. Yeah. Yes, that, that's yeah. a good bit. But oh, there's yeah. sometimes fear and Fear is like, so I, being me, I go, okay, what does fear feel like? And I might try and breathe into a little bit and, but fear can often roll onto itself and expand and being with fear doesn't always help in terms of meeting fear. It's not always helpful to kind of be present with fear because it kind of grows. Yes, absolutely. That is yeah. Really yeah. So I'm curious about the quiet in respect to when you've got a feeling like fear that expands. Yeah. How do you meet that? I'm interested in your process. Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, so as I think about how that happens, if I'm generally kind of in a quiet space, but then fear comes in, whether it's imminently like actually happening in some form or other, or if it's my thoughts that have triggered it, I will in that case try to direct my attention elsewhere. I'll just try to talk myself down or, or do some activity or move the body. There, You know, there's certain tried and true things, I will try to change the movie in my head a bit and certainly try to get out of the way of something that seems dangerous. In a way, I do rely on those feelings of fear to get me out of trouble. And to and, and they may just come in the form of thinking about making a certain type of a decision or having made a decision, then starting to feel fear within my body about that. And I'll use that as a kind of a, a guiding light as to whether I should try to reverse this decision or find some way that it's going to work without this sense of anxiety. But I I have a great respect for fear. I actually have a recent podcast called When Fear is a Friend. That's the title and the subject of the podcast. But it's so uncomfortable, fear, really uncomfortable. Yeah, it is really, isn't it? It's very hard to sit with. It's not even necessarily good to sit with it. No. So, yeah. and, the, and you have to sort of chuck it away somehow, move away from it. Yeah. You know, so, so sometimes in the, I mean, I, I, I just want to pull out a little bit more in this because sometimes when I'm sitting, and I don't mean meditationally sitting either, I just mean sometimes when I consider things and the awareness of death comes close. Yes. And my response is 
fear. Like that could be fear for the world, fear mm-hmm. for nature or fear for my own body and my own kind of idea of myself. How do I'm, I'm just considering how I meet that. I, you know, I meet that with a sense of, I'm just being honest here. Yeah. I just notice that it comes up and I have the sense of I have no idea how to deal with this. And and I should, as someone, you know, who's made that doco and as someone who speaks on this, I should know how to deal with this and I don't know how to deal with this, you know. Mm-hmm. I have a little bit of a, a chatter in my brain. The, the fear thing, yeah. you know, it, it feels unbecoming. Is what I want to say. You know what I mean? Like I'm letting the team down a little <laughs> bit. That's great and very so authentic. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind that the fact of it's arising. I don't have a fight with. I see that I'm a creature with a lot of anxiety. So fear is a very familiar state for me. I've had to manage it or else I'd just be a nervous wreck. And so I do move my attention around as best I can when when strong fear has entered my psyche and my awareness. And sometimes it will last, depending on the circumstance. It will linger on. All of these are very deep and raw kinds of emotions that we're now subject to. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather have that. I'd rather have that and not know what the hell to do with it yes. than pretend that it wasn't even there, to be honest. So I'd prefer to be afraid of the death I see arriving and the collapse of, of the civilization that I see coming than believe that if we just turn over a certain person, certain, you know, Illuminati, certain something, we can change everything and we'll all be fine. I'd much rather be on this with all its discomfort, I really would. All I want is the truth. You know, you and I have both put these works out into the world that basically out all of these kinds of emotions and the, the data. And I was motivated, I have a feeling you were too, to essentially just offer a hand to those who are feeling these kinds of things to say you're not alone in this. A lot of people are thinking and feeling on these matters and probably more and more will with time. And we have walked this journey in it for this amount of of time and we've learned these few things about how to play it. And it has come down for me to a rather simple way of being with it. And it's still hard. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, you know, that's the thing, isn't it? I, I, I mean, you have experience, you, you know, you've had more years in the understanding than me. I came to the understanding through you, you know, with you in conversations many times a week would be in these conversations and I was full of but, 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 but what about, what about solar, you know, about that, what about that? So it took a while for me to, to, to land but in the landing, was, it was a tremendous explosion of creativity for me. Um, yeah. You know, that doco came out of that landing. That wouldn't, would, no way would I have done that. I didn't even, have a, didn't even have a kind of secret urge to make a documentary. That just came out of that landing place. So, I remember which, sitting with you 
in Italy mm. after the retreat mm. in that cafe. Because mm. <laughs> <laughs> we've been in silence for a week in that retreat, hadn't we? And it had just been brewing and brewing, brewing and brewing. Yeah. And then, I, then I grabbed you after the retreat and we sat there and we were like, this will do this and do this and do this. Of course, it took so long to roll out, but. Um, it was, you know, I mean, actually it was so lovely. And I, I, I wonder if you have this with the work that you do now too, but it was so lovely to be offering something from that space, you know, from the recognition of, wow, this is really where we're going as a, as a global culture here. And yeah. to be able to offer something beautiful into the space, you know, in, in the same way that your essay was beautiful, it, it hard hitting, and you know, honest. But also, you just just look at it as a piece of writing. It's beautiful, you know. Mm. It takes someone somewhere. It's a, it's an opening thing, but but the landing in the intensity of the experience had to happen first. Yes, exactly. And as as you just said, you were you were immersed in silence, and out of that silence, and out of that okayness mm. that had enough energy now to have something move through you and and give out and pour forth mm. i think that that's that's all that's left to us now that we we can sit in our in our deepest places and see what comes out of that but we are not i think neither you or i or maybe many people listening to this are going to be offering false hope and projects of consolation that are just sort of busy work. For me, there's only a, one real sanctuary, and that's going to have to be an inside job for all of us. And, you know, that inner sanctuary will not necessarily guarantee our safety. So there's, there's two different things. Yes, and it doesn't even guarantee not having all these other emotions we've mm. spoken about. Mm. Those are all the only way we can have this sanctuary is if everything is welcome to mm. just move through. Yeah, that's well put. That's well put. Including, I guess, you know, meeting people's denial, which, you know, is, can, be, can be so difficult. And it's just can be so difficult. Um, no. yeah. I mean, I was out at a... Um, dinner last night and, mm -hmm. you know, I announced the documentary and someone said, okay, so I said, oh, it's about climate change. You know, what am I going to say? Or how do you say what it's yeah. really about? So yeah. it's about climate change. And he goes, okay, what's the, well, what's the verdict? So there's sort of six people <laughs> sitting around. Yeah, what is the verdict? <laughs> oh what did you say? What did I say? I said something like, it's a hell of a lot worse than you probably realise. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's from memory. I said something like that. Yeah. But it was a little ripple over the 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 evening. I mean, just you know, to expand on this for a moment, you know, the IPCC is an incredibly conservative scientific body. You know, right. so, and they right. need to get government approval before they make these announcements. They sit and go backwards and forwards yeah. before they can make these announcements. You know, there's some of the information in the IPC report can be just sort of 10 years old before they're allowed to put it there. And it has to be a unanimous agreement. 
And all of that, with all that being said, and they still come out and said, Code Red for Humanity, it's now or never. It's now or never from the IPCC means it's probably never. Yes, of course. I would say never. So, but then that isn't a, that's a statement from the most prestigious scientific meeting that the world currently has, even though I don't think it's particularly up to date. Exactly. News for a day. I know, I know. I mean, there is also a thing, like, because we're so busy in this culture, so busy and everyone's scrambling to survive. And, you know, I know that experience, especially right now. It's scary. Everyone's trying to, you know, get either just put bread on the table or trying to get a little bit more, you know, yes. to so we've got a bit more savings or everyone's running pretty fast That's really to just fast. live here without being on the street. I know. So then to drop in the little notion that none of this is going to last, yeah. you can see why a lot of people just go, I haven't got, I, you know, I haven't got space for that. I'm going to work. And like you I know. said the other day, especially people who have children, you know, oh that, it becomes unthinkable. I mean, truly unthinkable. I mean, it takes a whole nother level of concern and fear. And yes. when, you know, I just cannot imagine. And I'm, I can only give my utmost sort of empathy to yes. people that are experiencing that. Absolutely. You know, and may we also take care of our parents as this is going down, you know. So. Absolutely. I think the two things we've done are just going to get more and more obvious to people. And yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I'm a little bit you know, ambivalent now about that. It's sort of like, what's the point? I mean, you know, I mean, yeah. the point is exactly what I said. It's a, it's a camaraderie. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And it's a deep one. It is. It's a deep one because it's, you know, it's a, I, I don't use this word lightly or often, but it's a holy one because you're in the contemplation of death and the loss of everything. It's a very, it's, it's a horrible place and it's also a very high place, isn't it? Yes. You know? Yes, that's true. Mm. I have never felt more awake, um, you know, in my life. I've, I mean, it, it's not what I had imagined awakeness would feel like. <laughs> that, that's it, isn't it? I have much more peaceful under a robe and people pointing at me and saying, wow, what a beautiful space is in. Not all this fear and (laughs) sadness. (laughs) (laughs) But it's what we've got and here we are, alive in it. This has been In the Deep. You can find the entire list of In the Deep podcasts at katherineingram.com, where you can also book a private phone session and view upcoming events, such as our monthly Zoom sessions. I want to deeply thank our donors for your support and encourage our other regular listeners to consider making either a one-time or a recurring donation. We would also be grateful for a review on Apple Podcasts or on whatever platform you're listening. Till next time.